Welcome in to the Air 8 Sports Podcast. I am Chandler Carney. With me as always, Brady Scott. What up? We're going to recap the weekend in college football, and it was a good one for the most part. What game stood out to you the most? What game stood out to me? Yeah. Uh, How Notre Dame fought at Georgia. I did not expect that at all. Yeah, if only somebody had told you that. I don't know if it's a fact of Notre Dame being that good or what Georgia has. What do you mean by what Georgia has? Georgia didn't play well, in my opinion. I don't. I think that they were a little – Kirby Smart was cautious with his play calling. He was too cautious. And he did not let Jay Fromm open it up. No. He was safe. He ran the ball and he kicked it. Did he win? Yes. Can you fault him for winning? No. Is he going to beat LSU or Alabama, maybe even Auburn playing like that? No chance. No. You got to open it up at some point and trust your junior quarterback. Yeah. You think it's so much as the quarterback he might not trust or the receivers around him? Because they're they're a young group. You got to trust them because you're going to need them at some point. I mean, you have a good offensive line. I mean, they're going to give him time to throw the ball. You're going to need them at some point, so you better go ahead and start getting them used to it. Because there's one drive where he did kind of let him, you know, here's the reins, let's go. But it was a great drive, and he was perfect on the drive. Yeah. But I can understand why, hey, look, let's run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. They have the backs to do. do it. Yeah, that's what they want to do. But it's not like they're Wisconsin – and they don't have somebody like Jake Fromm under center. Yeah, they can throw the ball. They just choose not to. I mean, he can spin it with the best of them. It's pretty good. I don't know about a game standing out to me the most, but I know that uh, if you stayed up and watched the uh, Pac-12 after dark game, you got a treat because it was a shootout, and I did not see that coming at all. <laughs> 49 to 17. Yeah. And you lose 67 to 63. The only reason that I kind of stayed up and watched that game was because ASU Colorado was on at the time. And I was wanting to see how that shaked out because of our picks. And then I was like, oh, well, they're up 49 17 or 42 17 at halftime. Gamma Cooper will probably get to play today. I'd like to see him, you know, see what they do with him. Boy, were you wrong. <laughs> nope, did not happen. One fumble, and, I mean, UCLA pounced on it and just took them down there, man. Never looked back. Just started surging ahead. Defense locked down, and it was over. It was just – it was the craziest thing. It really reminded me of uh, um, two years ago when yeah. we uh, hosted Arkansas. Not, we were up by, like, 31 points. Octavius fumbled, and then all of a sudden we could do – Nothing and Arkansas could do no wrong. That's exactly what it was. That's, like. how, that's what it had to be for them to win, yeah. and that's what it was. Uh, but the the quarterback for Washington State, Anthony Gordon, nine touchdown passes. Yeah, well, it was crazy. Nine, 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 five in the first half. That's a lot. It it was. It was very impressive because you got to think like, who the hell is this kid? And he's just out here just tossing touchdown passes like there's no tomorrow. 
Is Washington State's defense that bad, or did Chip Kelly figure out how to call a football game again? Honestly, I think it was just they just got momentum, and it was and DTR was tired of people saying that he saw it. So because he looked good in the game, and I've never seen him play like that, and he was hurting, and he he stuck with it and, and pushed forward, and they won the game. But you got to do sometimes. Yeah. I think it was more of the UCLA players finally decided we want to play football and we're tired of getting the shit beat out of us. And that's what they've done this year. They have looked terrible. Now, do I think that they're going to go and win out and do all this? No. But I think they got a good chance with this win to maybe say, look, we can do it. We can We can play with the best of them. We can win a game. Sometimes it's all it takes, man. You just got to win one. And then maybe you find your foot and then get going. Just just like shooting a basketball, you know, you might be struggling, but once you, you see one go in, you're like, ah, oh, I can make it. Let's right. go. I can still do this. Maybe that's Chip Kelly now. Scored 67. Maybe I can call plays again. Maybe. Does it change your mind about it? No. You know, we, we talked last week about second coaches in their second year struggling and there's one that people Scott, Scott Frost don't know what to do. That's that is fair. He can't press a button that's not wrong right now. But what I think people don't like never think about is Chad Morris, and just because it was Arkansas and probably not a big time hire, because he's struggling in Fayetteville. Bad. I lost to San Jose State at home. That's – I mean, I understand you did come back and take them to over, force overtime, but you should never be in that position. No. I don't know if you can recover from that. If Pruitt can recover from Georgia State and be fine, then I think that Chad Morris will be fine. I don't think Pruitt's going to be fine. I don't either because the reports were that him and Philip Fulmer rode back together separate from the team. That ain't a good look. Never a good sign. And you got to think his days in Knoxville are numbered. They should be. You got to think that Chip Kelly's days, he might have gotten a little bit better with that win over Washington State. On Let's the see road. how the year plays out for them. I think if you if I had to take money on a coach, if if they're not returning next year, it ain't looking good for Pruitt. And Clay Helton may be on his way out, but I think that no matter what Clay Helton does, he's done. Probably so. They want Urban Meyer, and I think Urban Meyer's coming. I I really think that's gonna happen, and I don't think Clay Helton can win and take him to the playoff. Well, you didn't win it. We're getting a new AD. You're fired. I think if he gets to the playoff, he's fine. Yeah, but he's not getting to the playoff. The Pac-12 is not getting to the playoff. Uh, they're definitely going to have to have help. Mightily. Um, We'll get to that later. Well, I mean, who do you think is going to go to the playoff? Right now? Okay, if the season ended today, who would you put into the playoff? Bama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. 
And your two and your two that are out, you're all five and six. Who do you think who are they? LSU and Georgia. That's um no two SEC teams there. I think that You said today. If it ended today and we base everything off of what we've seen today up until this point, um it's hard to keep Georgia and LSU out over Bama because they've actually played top 10 teams or yeah. top 15 teams. Yeah. And Bama hasn't to this point. Now, they will, just not yet. Do you think Bama's that much better than both of them? Not as much as in years past, but I still believe that they are on top because of the quarterback and the wide receivers. Do you think that um, when they when the Bama and LSU play this year, it's going to be a shootout? No. Not a shootout, shootout. A shootout for that game, yes. I think it'll be in the 20s, maybe first one to 30 wins. But it's not going to be like a Pac-12 shootout, no, Big no, 12 shootout. No. I think if it gets in the 40s, something's majorly wrong. Yeah, but I definitely don't see it being a 9-6 game. No, I think first one to 30 is a reasonable assessment. Well, you said first one to 20 and count an old Miss win, and you were right, my friend. I'm occasionally correct. I think if I had to go today, ours would look very similar. But I probably wouldn't take Ohio State right now. Yeah. I would take either LSU or Georgia. No Pac-12? No Pac-12. They've all been beaten. What about Auburn? I think Auburn – I mean, they got two. I mean, yeah, they're undefeated. They got two top twenty-five wins already. When you, I think, when people are looking at the playoff, you got to think about matchups. And I think Auburn has done good. They've beaten two top twenty-five teams, one of them on the road. But do I trust them right now? No, they're gonna have to beat LSU or beat Georgia or beat Alabama for me to want to trust them. They're my seven. I think that's fair for them. At number seven behind, behind Georgia, LSU, yeah. at five and six. Yeah, that's fair. I think Ohio State's really good. And I think Ohio State can score with the best of them. But it's going to be hard for them to lose a game this year. Now, I know that they lost last year to Purdue in a very bad way. And if that game probably had come down to just one score, they would have been in the playoff. But this year, I think it'll it'll happen for them to get in again, and I'd probably agree with you on that. Top four, Georgia and LSU are out because you got to think if it ended today, you'd have to play the conference championship this weekend, mm-hmm. and it'd probably be Bama and Georgia, and Bama to win. Yeah, who's your Heisman front runners right now? Hurts. Ooh, shocker. Clear cut one. Uh, Joe Burrow at two. And Jonathan Taylor at three. The back from Wisconsin getting some love. I like it. Hopped on it early. Not going to hop off, especially not after 202 touchdowns. And getting getting hurt. And coming back in and doing that. 
cramps. He'll be fine. What was that, 177 in the first half? 177 in the first half. Michigan is awful. They are pretty bad. Do you think Harborough lost the season? Yeah. Odds are out in Vegas right now, even for him not coming back to Ann Arbor. I think he I think he makes it the season. Depends on how it ends, though. I think he can lose every game, but if he beats Ohio State, he'll be, still stay. Yeah. Well, you know that ain't going to happen. We'll just have to wait and see how things go. You never know what can happen with injury. The whole team's going to have to get mono, I think. We'll just have to see how it goes. I think that um, my Heisman front runners right now would have to be Joe Burrow has been very impressive. He deserves to have this Heisman hop. I think that your your boy Jonathan Taylor has been very impressive and deserves to be in there. I also think Jalen Hurts does deserve it. Um, I think Trevor Lawrence and the Heisman train has kind of slowed down. He's turned the ball over a little bit, went through a sophomore slump. Do I think that he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the country? Yes. yes. He's just made a little too many mistakes. I think Tua deserves to be in this conversation if he plays a little bit longer in his games. Yeah. He ain't going to play past halftime this week, potentially. No, not at all. So, again, after week was week four, we're in agreement on our top four. We're going to be in agreement on our Heisman winners, our Heisman front runners. Yeah, this probably won't last long. No, because, I mean, you just haven't seen people shake it out yet. Um, you don't know who's got what. You don't. And, like I said, Tua – I do can turn it on in a heartbeat. So I can't Trevor Lawrence. And you look who they have to play compared to their talent. Bama's got to go through a little bit tougher schedule. Trevor Lawrence probably has the easiest schedule to do it. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people are. Easier than Oklahoma. And I say yeah. a lot. Well, because Oklahoma still got to, I mean, they still have to play Texas and they still have to play uh, Oklahoma State. So those are potentially two Man. ranked teams right yeah. there. Because you have their whole schedule, yeah. whole conference schedule ahead. Because Oklahoma State can fluctuate. I think if Texas Tech picks it up a little bit, they could get ranked. Obviously, but not by the time Oklahoma plays them. No. But it could still be a good win for them. So, do you think that Tua is going to have to play against Jalen Hurts in the national championship game? I hope so. Is that what everybody wants? I want it. I mean, I want it. But if not in a national championship game, in the playoff. I just want to see him play. Do you think Jalen Hurts beats him? Yes. You think Oklahoma will beat Alabama? Yes. Very interesting. That game will be a Big 12 shootout. Yeah. It will be your – I'll say if they meet up healthy – Across the board, first one to 45 wins. You think it would be like Georgia and Oklahoma that year? No. Baker? First one to 45 wins it. That's that's really – it's going to be a really interesting game if it happens. He wants them bad. Jalen Hurts wants Nick Saban. Can you blame him? No, he wants to burn him on the field. Look, man, sometimes somebody has to be the sacrificial lamb for the program. Okay, but sometimes you can still go away and prove your point. Oh, yeah. That's why I don't fault the transfer portal. Like, 
people want to make a big deal about it. Like, yeah, so-and-so has stayed and all this and that. And now he's earned a shot. And that's fine. That's fair. But it doesn't necessarily work out like that all the time. But now, do I think that you should, um, from a competitive standpoint, you lose the job and you leave? I mean, you competed. You lost the job. Especially if you didn't get if you felt like I didn't get a fair shake, I should leave. Because nobody knows what goes on behind closed doors. You're right. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Justin Fields leaving Georgia makes complete sense because, hmm. one, he does not fit the system. And I really think he just wanted to stay close to home and thought he could beat Jake Fromm out. Yeah. But what people don't realize is Jake Fromm is built for the system. But so is Jacob Beeson. And then Eason gets hurt and they're rolling. And you kind of don't want to go away from it. Yeah. So I understand that. Then Tate Martell was pretty much told by his coaches, you need to leave. He wasn't going to play. No. And his coaches said, you need to find another home. No. After Urban left. So he goes to Miami and then he loses the job. But if I'm him, I think that's signs of, well, look, I'm not in the right system. I'm not going to be in the right system. There's only one other system in this country that I feel like I can fit in with, and I didn't go there. So I need to switch to wide receiver or DB or, you know, or something if I want to play, especially if I want to play at the next level. He's doing what's best for him. Yeah. But – if if I'm coaching Tate Martell and he doesn't win the quarterback job, I'm, I'm going to be like, look, man, do you want to move to receiver? Because we can do that. Yeah, We can plug you in at H-back. We can do all sorts of things with you because you're talented. And he's got wheels. And I think that would be best for him. I haven't seen Miami play since, I think, that week one game with Florida. That's the only time I've seen him. So he may be incorporated, but I haven't heard anything from them. They haven't been winning. That's for sure. They they beat Central Michigan, what, 17 to 12 the other day? They struggled. It was a rough day in Miami. Do you want to talk about this uh, Cal Ole Miss game real quick and how it shaked out? Or do you not want to relive the frustration? I'll say this. I think it should have been ruled a touchdown nonetheless. Was he in or not? Who knows? There's no angle that shows for sure. You can assume he's in or assume he's out. You call it a touchdown and you review it. Even if I think even if they would have just went ahead and reviewed it, it would have been – people would feel better about it. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, we didn't deserve to be in the ball game. No. Cal was in control basically from the start of the second half on. And there was no answer from us. We went down the field twice on basically prevent, and they almost led us in the end zone. But did we deserve to win? No. Do I think it was a touchdown? Yes. And that's all I got to say. I think that – I mean, I agree. We didn't deserve – Ole Miss did not deserve to be in this ball game. What really just, I think, struck a nerve with a lot of people is you're down 15 points. Okay? So – Realistically, you're down. You're down two scores. All right. Nine minutes left in the ball game. You hadn't been. You hadn't been stopping this Cal team very much today. I think they put in punted like twice. Yeah. And we got one turnover. And you want to try to kick her out there, who's already missed a field goal, 
who has been struggling. That I feel like you're waving the white flag because that's not smart. It was fourth. I get it. Fourth and goal from the 12. But you're down. Even if you make the field goal, guess what? You're still down two scores. Yes. You know, you're not putting yourself in a position to win. And I remember, you know, we're sitting there and we haven't even discussed leaving. And he tries to kick her out there, misses, and we just get up and go. All three of us. Just simultaneously. No discussion. We were just tired of it. And, and I, th- I think that's the way that everybody is. Do I, th- do I think it was a touchdown? I don't know. Because I think whatever's called on the field would stand. Yeah. But at the same time, I th- you got a fr- you got a true freshman quarterback in. I don't know what's going on with the headset. I don't know what's going on with signaling. But you've got to get a freaking play in. Faster than they did. And they're just sitting there for like 10 seconds. And he's standing there. And it's like, come on. I don't know if you're not reading the signs. I don't know if Rich Rod's up there in the booth just dicking around. You got to get a play in. And they didn't. They couldn't get him in quick enough. And then he lines up, and I don't understand what's going on because it's fourth down after after yeah. the non-touchdown call. And I think people thought he was going to clock it, but they don't realize that it's fourth down. You clock it, ball game's over anyway. Yeah. And he tries to sneak it, and he gets no push, none. Everybody just stood They up. just stood there. And ball game ended. I don't know. It was weird. That's why you don't call your timeout. It's just like um, last week when Mississippi State played Kansas State. And, I mean, they're trying to run their offense, trying to score quick at the end of the game. And everybody assumes this kid's going to clock it. But if he clocks it, it's over with. And he's the only one that goes to drop back and actually run a play. Everybody stands there and gets tackled in bounds. Ball game. And that goes back to coaching. Yes. You know better than anybody that I hate lousy two-minute offenses, especially for someone like Rich Rod who runs a fast-paced, no huddle, get on the ball, the snap at offense. And you're telling me you can't get plays in properly. It looked bad. An awful look. We got to do a better job of using timeouts. Yes. We can't waste a timeout early in the second half. You just got to eat them and save them for the end. Because you have one, maybe two timeouts at the end. You take your timeout and you draw up your play. But without that timeout, especially you know you're trotting a freshman out there, you have to save your timeout. Yeah. Well, wasn't it um, – Call it, like, don't call a timeout there. Let them punt it to us. That's yeah. a solid two minutes left. You got two minutes and 15, two minutes, 10 seconds left tops with a timeout. That's plenty of time. And these are the situations you go in. Now, if you're in the NFL, that's completely different because yeah. you may need a little bit more than two minutes because the clock doesn't stop to move the chains. Yeah. Two minutes is plenty to drive down the field, especially when it's nothing new to the offense. Now, Wisconsin tried to run a two-minute offense and struggling a little bit. You yeah. can see, okay, they need to work on that a little bit more because that's not natural to them. But this is that's what I don't that's what I don't get. It's natural to the offense to go quickly. So get the play in. Don't waste the timeout. Score the touchdown. Go to overtime. Which I mean, you still got to get the two point conversion there. Yeah, that's not a guarantee. No, I would just like the opportunity. But that's all. 
All right, now we got a very special guest joining us. Uh, Yogi Roth from the Pac-12 Network is here to discuss Pac-12 football and uh, Elite 11. And uh, Yogi, how you doing today, man? It's Monday, man. I love this day because I just watch film all day and just try to gear up for the week and study and prepare and kind of hang out with uh, my family a little bit. So I, I love Mondays. I'm doing well. Oh, that's awesome, man. Oh. Uh, now, you got a hand in a little bit of everything. You played wide receiver at Pitt. Um, you coached under Pete Carroll for a few years, and you've done the documentaries and the Elite 11 coach. How do you manage all of your time with everything going on throughout the year? Yeah, good question. Thanks for having me on. Um, to uh, me, it's really simple. It, it comes down to finding out what is the purpose of your life. And for me, in storytelling, it's to seek and uncover the humanity in sports around the world, specifically in college football during the football season and quarterbacks in the offseason. So if it doesn't go through the lens of seeking and, excuse me, seeking and uncovering this humanity in sports, I'm just not into it. So I don't look at it as 10 different buckets. I look at it as one lens and everything that falls under that purview is something I'm interested in. And it's made it actually really easy for me to turn stuff down. Um, which I was never good at before, but about two and a half years ago, I spent time with a guy named Jeremy Darlow, who wrote a book called Athletes of Brands, too. And we just went really hard on me and what I was interested in, and uh, that's kind of where it netted out. So I think all the experience has gotten me there, but overall, it doesn't seem like a lot based on very clear sentence. It's simple. You make it seem so simple, but from the outsider's perspective, looking in, it just seems like you're doing so much. Yeah, I, I understand that, and I respect that. But uh, and, and there were times where it felt like that. Uh, but now it, it doesn't. And look, I'm older. I just turned 38. Like, I kind of have gone through the process of trying to figure out what keeps me switched on. And um, it's real easy when it's that. Because it, it all feels like it's helping the same thing. So, for instance, I'm watching USC versus Utah film right now. Yeah. Why don't I go back and watch the game? That's as a broadcaster analyst. But I'm also going to tell a feature story on Wednesday about the linebacker of Utah. So I'm watching him play. I'll read about him. Then I'll talk about it tomorrow night on our studio show. And I'll do a feature on Wednesday in Salt Lake City. Then I'll come back on Saturday and do our pregame show. And it's all the same to me. You know, and then his season ends, he goes to the NFL, and I'll have him on my podcast. So it it doesn't seem like it's a lot because everything gets reused. And uh, Somebody told me that at ESPN a long time ago. He said, shoot the same thing and cut it up as many different ways as you can. And that's how I kind of probably look at every day is do as much as you can with that 24 hour experience and as many different, you know, platforms and areas of content. All right. So we're going to get into the Pat 12 real quick. And I just want your opinion on who is the clear cut number one team and what are your predictions for the title game as far as who goes to it? Yeah, I don't think it's that clear. You know, I think right now um, there's an argument that Oregon and Washington are playing the best. And I watched uh, both of their games this morning, watched the BYU game back, and watched Oregon-Stanford. And they're really impressive. You know, they're, they're the two teams in the north. And then you say, well, hey, what about Cal? Cal beat UW. You know, and they beat them two years in a row. So I, I think you have to talk about those two teams. And, and Washington State, I wouldn't be surprised if they – if they beat everybody, you know, even after a crazy loss, I think it's hard in the North. Like who's the best team overall. You probably go with 
UW based on how Jacob Easton's playing on paper. Oregon a really close second because the defense is really developing well and the receivers have elevated based on a lot of the starters being injured. Um, so maybe you can flip a coin at the top, but Cal beat one of the teams. Washington State's beat Oregon the last four years. So uh, I think it's hard there. And then in the South, you know, I thought this Utah was going to the playoff. I'm watching that game back now. It's 27 penalties, clearly an ugly game. Uh, but I still think they're the most talented team. SC, I think for as much criticism as they get, and I don't think a lot of it's fair. Some of it is based on what they their record was last year. But this year, they're playing a backup quarterback as a freshman, and now playing a third-string quarterback who was in the transfer portal. Come on, man! Like you get everybody's best. So I think you gotta, you know, give Clay a lot of credit yeah. in that regard. So probably those two teams in the South. But again, if Khalil Tate goes crazy. He's he's the most athletic quarterback in the country, yeah. and it's not even close. You never know so, what he's gonna do. Yeah, so I think it's challenging, you know, in that regard. So, I don't know, man. Uh, if I had to predict it today, I would pick probably SC in the South because they have the head-to-head over Utah. And Utah, you know, they both have to go to UW. So, let's just say both of them lose. SC still has the leg up in that regard. So, I'd probably say SC now in the South because they lost that game. In the North... I'd pick Washington because they've got the best home schedule. They get Oregon at home, they get SC at home, they get Utah at home. I've all so, that. And that place is tough to play. It's interesting you go, you just talk how top to bottom the league is. Us located in the middle of SEC country, we tell a lot of our buddies and stuff, when they talk about the Pac-12, it's like all oh, the Pac-12 is not good because they don't have the top heavy Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Clemson. But what I like telling them is top to bottom, they're probably – the deepest and most competitive league in all of college football. And that doesn't get enough respect on the East Coast and playoff talk. 100%. 100% in that regard. And I'm glad you're saying that because it's true. You know, you look at the ACC, and I don't know what it is this week because I didn't study the, the most recent rankings, but last week there were two teams in the ACC in the top 25. And one was Clemson and one was Virginia. No one cares about Virginia, big picture CFP, but Clemson carries the conference. In fact, well, there are six teams, you know. This week, I mean, there's six again because SC came in and just somebody dropped out. I don't know if it's Washington State. Um, but that being said, like, it's just not a topical thing. You know, I even look at the SEC and I saw Florida and Michigan, and you say the Big Ten and Michigan. The fact that they were ranked ahead of Utah coming into this past weekend to me was a joke just based on how bad Florida's looked, how dominant Utah had been, and how bad Michigan had looked coming into the weekend. So I do think that there's a narrative out there of that the conference doesn't have a lot of elite teams at the top, which is fair when you look at not beating ranked opponents non-conference schedule-wise. Like you got to wear that record. But I don't think that enough credit is given to a nine-conference game schedule when you got to bring it every week. You, know, you don't get breaks. You don't get Vanderbilt. You don't get... You know, some of those teams that have struggled in the Big Ten, you don't get the majority of teams in the ACC. Like, you don't. So, I think that reality is one that, uh, you know, your friends probably don't pay attention to because they just pay attention to what's on SportsCenter and yeah. what's talked about on game day, which is the competition for the playoff. And I think the playoff is ruining college football. Uh, it, the fact that it's four teams. Because it, it's just Clemson, Bama, Ohio State, and then we'll see. Texas, Oklahoma, one-loss back 12 teams. 
Yeah, and actually, when we say we're located in SEC country, ironically, we're located in Oxford, Mississippi. And so we got to see Cal live Saturday in, in Oxford against Ole Miss. And uh, so we're, we're big Ole Miss fans. And so this, this is coming from an unbiased standpoint, obviously. They looked good. Cal is for real, and we've been trying to tell people that on our show so many times. Ole Miss had no business being in that game late. No. And obviously, the Pac-12 officials are getting some heat for it, and we've actually defended them for the no-touchdown call and everything else. So what are your what is your take on it from the Pac-12 network guy? Yeah, well, I think that uh, the way that it works, and I talked to the officials in our game before the game just about it, and the replay booth, so people understand the mechanics. At the end of the game, um, every, every play is reviewed, number one. So we start there. But at a play like that, you want to make sure as a replay official, number one, you don't you know, impede the integrity of the game. Right? So you're never going to like purposely hurt a team yeah. right? or purposely not replay anything. Yeah. But if you don't have, like for, for that, like when they looked at that, they felt they had the look that said he didn't cross the goal line. Now, I get the picture, and I get it really easy to look at that, just like it is in track. You see people crossing the finish line. Pending the angle, it looks way different than the reality. And the look that they had, that they looked at in the, re- in the review booth, said, nope, he's, the ball has not crossed any part of the pylon. So let the play continue. Now, the challenge would have been, um, if they just called it to review because they weren't sure, you're basically giving Ole Miss a timeout, and you're really impacting the game. Yeah. Yes. Right. That's so a big that's deal. the balance, and, and that's a big, that's a huge deal. And so the point is that number one, it was reviewed, and number two, they felt as though he didn't cross, and number three, they didn't feel as though it was enough of an opportunity to review, so they didn't buzz down to the officials because they didn't feel as though they needed to. Yeah. So all the the process happened; it occurred. Now, does one picture from one angle look different? Totally, and I get all that. But the angle that they have that I haven't seen, um, just because you know I haven't probably done enough research on that last play because I was just watching it real time. But in their eyes, they didn't cross. Yeah. So they kept play going versus giving a team another timeout. And to your point, um, it was an awesome comeback. It was a fun game to watch. But Calcio also won by three t- three scores, in my opinion, the way Easily. that uh, you know they dominated the game. Well, who do you think uh, the Pac-12 does have a? They have a lot of good quarterbacks, but who do you think is the best quarterback in the conference? Yeah, I think there's two guys that have elevated above everybody um, right now. Just because KJ Costello had a tough year, he's been banged up. Obviously, the Big Ten totally screwed him on no call penalty. Yeah, um, you know when he got Big a concussion time. in the first week of the season. Uh, but regardless, uh, it's Justin Herbert dealing, man. He's dealing. So is Jacob Eason. Justin Herbert's throwing the ball in places that these guys can't do. And I'd say the same with Eason. I'm putting a reel together now. I'll put it up on my Instagram uh, as the week gets going here. It's one of the best throws of the week because there were just so many when you watch those guys deal. They're just making throws that you just don't see. You know, so uh, I say that because I think they're the two most elite passers. They're the two guys that have great next-level capabilities. Um, and I probably paused there. You know, Anthony Gordon threw for nine touchdowns. You got to yes, give him credit. Yeah. Khalil Cade came off a win in his best game. You could argue of his career as a passer two weeks ago against Texas Tech. 
Keenan Montez looked great throwing three touchdowns. I called that game on Saturday night. Um, Dory Thompson Robinson and Jaden Daniels, the youngsters, played really well. And Tyler Huntley, he still hasn't thrown a pick. And he's playing really efficient. And Jake Luton is going to get to the NFL. He's six foot six, can make every throw. And you saw Garbers play the best game of his young career. But to me, the it starts with Herbert and Easton right now. And then it's kind of like you put KJ Costello in the conversation because he's an NFL guy. But you do want to just hit a pause based on the performance this year and where they struggled up front and protecting him, et cetera. So two guys, and then you, you can make up, you can have a fun conversation with everybody else. Yeah, those two guys have clearly separated themselves. And even with Eason, you could practically argue that if he doesn't get hurt in that year at Georgia, he may be the starting quarterback for the Georgia Bulldogs, and we don't even know about Jake Fromm. Yeah, well, I think there's just always something to it when you look at people who leave the whatever footprint you're in, right? Like you, especially the Pac-12 in Seattle, it's happened a bunch. You know, you go back to Jake Heaps. He was the Elite 11 MVP his year as a college or as a high school kid went yeah. to BYU, played as a freshman, but. You know, things didn't really go his way for, for obvious, for a bunch of different reasons. Ended up transferring a couple times. Max Brown, number one player in the country with SC, didn't really play. Uh, started and got beat out by Sam Darnold when they were struggling. You know, left the footprint. You know, I, I just think there's something to when you leave Seattle, nobody's had success. And for Jake Eason, it's great to see him come home. And when you go to Georgia and you have a guy like Jake, who is a local kid, Who's awesome? I've been around Jake and he's in high school. Jake Bob, love him, um, and you knew if he get a chance, he was never going to let it go. And that's that's really basically what happened. And I think for coaches and recruiting, same thing in LA. You got a quarterback who played high school football in LA, and it's close with the kid who probably played high school football in Georgia. They're going to go with the kid from LA for so many reasons, if, if it's even. So I, I don't blame Kirby Smart for what they did and why they did it. I'm pumped to see Jacob back because he's got a calm demeanor to him now. He's a relaxed, much more relaxed. And, and, you know, you, everybody grows up after a couple of years in college, and especially when you got to transfer as the top kid in the country. And he had, and uh, I was like, happy that he won the job and earned that and watch him. Probably nobody's developed more from week one to week four than him because he hasn't played football in a long time. Yeah, because coming into the season, you have all the transfer quarterbacks. We were excited to see him, and it's sort of like he's been overlooked with the transfer of Fields and Hurts to Oklahoma and Ohio State. He's yeah, not getting the respect he deserves. No, and I think the loss to Cal hurt him. But if they're if they're four and oh, he's in Heisman conversations right now, and you just go back to it. Like everything reflects from the top. ESPN owns college football. They yeah. push the playoffs. They push the undefeated teams. They push certain programs. You know, and that's okay. You know, because that's the reality where we're at right now, and. Jalen Hurts has earned it. Who has earned it. Trevor's earned it. And you can argue that those three guys are kind of in a strategy by themselves, just based on what they've done in their careers. You know, all three of them have gone to title games and started in national championship games as freshmen. You know, like, I, I get that. You know, I, I'm not even, I, I wouldn't even complain about that. Like, that's just kind of what those guys earned. And for Easton and Utah, like, they got to win an icon game. They didn't have any you know, brutal non-conference games to start the season. So the biggest stage he was on, obviously, was Cal, but it was a weird game. It didn't finish on 3.30 East Coast in the morning. No, 4.30 in the East Coast, you know, a.m. Nobody really saw it. So BYU was really his first opportunity over the weekend, and his hype will grow if they continue to win. Oh, yeah. 
Um, see, a lot of people may not know what the Elite 11 is, but you're talking to two Elite 11 junkies, and we watch it every week, and we, you know, that is coming out, and we love it, and we keep up with it, and we actually follow all of you guys on Twitter. Uh, so my question is, out of all of the high school quarterbacks you've evaluated, who do you think at 17 years old was the best prospect that you had seen? Um, after, after everything, right, after the Elite 11 process, after all the mental skills work, all the stuff that we did, to me, there was only really two guys you could look at and be like, yeah, he's going to go do his thing. Like, he's going to win a Heisman. Um, and it was Jameis Winston in 2009, or no, 2011, and then it was Justin Fields. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Justin Fields was, was like I felt Justin was he was probably the best guy. Like it's close, uh, and Tua was like a hair behind him. He knew he was special because Tua, like for all intents and purposes, kind of personality wise, like you know, it's not like he's um, I don't know what the best term is, but you're not going to go see him like partying, right? You're not going to see like, he's a very organized guy, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you can see him relate to everyone, right? Whereas, you know, you know, you know his beliefs, you follow him, you can see what he's about. But I, I, I just say that because you don't, I wasn't, I was really impressed with how he related to every kid at the opening, right? You could be from deep, uh, you know, South Florida. You could be from the West Coast, you could be from the Midwest. Like, Tool was connected. You kind of knew when he was going to go to campus. He had a moxie to him that was just unique. And he worked on the skill set a lot when he was with us. You know, it was we we documented him in the film. That was the year that I directed the documentary. And you know, we had camera out in Hawaii, watched him work out under the lights. You know, they sent in that film from his family. And then we were able to kind of piece it together of how you know he got called out on being mechanically flawed, and he went to work on it. And he I think he jumped from like rank 16 or 17th in our initial elite 11 to winning it. And for whatever that's worth. Um, you know, people can decide on their own, but overall, him, uh, Jameis, and Justin probably had, had a lot of the same traits of infectious work ethic, infectious personality, and big time skill set. Yeah, and I think uh, just from watching it, in my opinion, uh, you really see something special with Tua because uh, Dilfer was on him a lot, and every time someone came to him, it, he didn't shut down, he didn't pout. He said, yes, sir, and he went and fixed it. And from day one to the last day, I don't think I've ever seen anyone improve as much as Tua did and take coaching to heart like that. And I think that's in watching the documentary on it. That's what Trent Dilfer praised most about him. He took in everything that you and the other guys there were telling him, and he went back at night and worked on it, and he came back better the next day. Yeah, well, you're, you're right. I mean, and I could say the same thing about – Jameis, you know, he came in and didn't know his playbook, and then all of a sudden there he was studying it at, you know, 2 in the morning, 2.30 in the morning, you know, first couple nights of camp. You know, that was the year we were at Pepperdine. It was Trent's first year. Playbook was intense. The kids came, like, there was no historical, so everybody kind of thought it was, like, just kind of a fun summer camp. Like, a lot of the summer camps now are, they just come and have a good time and get a bunch of Instagram pictures to put on their profile. And we, didn't, we don't do that. You know, we want to give the kids some tools. You know, I always say every year, like, we've got a real big-time opportunity to impact the next generation of learners. 
and hopefully as they mold into the next generation of leaders, they take some tools from us. Is the the harsh realities when you get to college, there's an hour limitation on coaches to spend with you as a player, and not a lot of it is developed through individual skill set development. You know, and every program's getting better and better at that, but it's still not a lot. So you could argue the 120 hours or so we get with these kids is as much as they're going to get, you know, of actual development time. Let's just call 120 hours. Let's just say we're on the field with them for 60 of them, right? That's a long time of individual quarterback training. I mean, that's like your first two years of college. Right, if you really think about it, like the amount of time of individual period you get with your quarterback coach, yeah, it, might, it might be your whole career. You know, if you get 10 minutes a day or 20 minutes a day in practice to do individual work, it's just, it's just not a lot. So um, we take a lot of pride in that, man. And it's really been fun to curate and help be a part of the team that develops that with these kids. Yeah, well, man, we uh, we thank you for coming on today. Uh, we're going to let you go because we know you're a busy man. But before you do, we have one question we always ask uh, our guests that come on that's non-football related. And uh, so the question is, if you're stranded on an island and you can only have, watch, you know, one TV show for the rest of your life, which one would it be? Other than the Elite 11? Other than the Elite yeah. 11. Or, oh, okay. Or anything on the Pac-12 Networks? Yes. That's where I work. I would say that's a great question. Um, it, it can't be a movie. It's got to be a TV show. It's got to be a TV show. Yeah, TV show. Is it, is it on repeat or is it like, are they still developing episodes? Uh, so we've like had a lot of people ask us that it. too. Um, it can be either one. We usually choose one that has all the seasons so we know how much it is and if it sucks or not towards the end. Mm. I mean, part of me would want to watch like 24 That's a good with Jack story. Bauer. But if I was on an island, I part of me like want to like watch something that's going to help me get off that island. Uh, like is like like Survivor Man type show. We've never had not this. that I would get a ton of enjoyment out of that. Like it's not like it's like a fun watch, but I would learn something so I could like learn how to build something and tie together some you know palm trees or whatever it is to to kind of get out of there. But yeah, that's probably uh that's probably what I go with. We've never had anybody come from that perspective before. One more thing for everybody listening. Um, you know, I'll let you plug anything that you have or anything you want everybody to know about. I know you have your podcast and it's at Yogi Roth on Instagram and Twitter both, I think. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's that. You know, it's my podcast, the Yogi Roth Show. Every other week I drop an episode, long form convo. I just had one with Eric Dickerson, the Hall of Famer, uh, which was really fun about the power of team. Had Jed Fish on, who's assistant offensive coordinator for the Rams, and Antonio Gates coming up. I got Rachel Barbeau coming out next week. Um, some fun ones there. And then every week I do a Monday podcast on Pac-12 football called Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure with my partner Ted Robinson, our producer Michael Molinari. You get both of those wherever you listen to podcasts, and they're a blast because trying to you know we, we think we're calling the best Pac-12 game on our network every week, and we hope to provide in, you know, some of the best insight every week that, you know, maybe some of your boys would, would be into 30 minutes or less, kind of like your podcast. Yeah. All right. Well, we appreciate you having on, you coming on with us. And we know you're real busy and to take time to come talk to us, it means a lot. You got it, man. Anytime. Talk to you soon. All right, man. Thanks. Oh, what a great interview, man, from a great guy. Uh, 
You got anything else you want to add to this, Brady? No, that was great. That's great. That was really enjoyable. I learned a lot from that. That might be the nicest human being on face of earth. Yeah. Him, big, big impact 12 network, basically their main guy. And with all he has in the Elite 11, calling games on Pac-12 Network, for him to take time to come on with us, that just meant a lot. Yeah. Well, man, this has been another episode of the Air Race Sports Podcast. Uh, I'm Chandler Carney. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Carney underscore 14. He's Brady Scott. You can follow him on Twitter at BS Walter. What is it? BS uh, underscore B underscore Walt. That's sad. I don't even know my own Twitter handle. B Rad, wow. That's Instagram. Uh, B Walt underscore eight on Twitter. All right. Thank you all for listening.